So let me ask you this to open up. What comes to your mind when you think of the divine attributes of God? What comes to your mind when you think of the divine attributes of God? And some of you may think, well, say, well, what's an attribute? Well, an attribute is a defining characteristic of something. Without it, they cease to become that something. For example, dogs and cats have defining attributes that cause you and I to identify them as a dog or a cat. Dogs bark, cats meow. Very good. See, you, you understand that. A do- dogs are pack animals. Cats are not. A dog's eyes are very different than a cat's eyes. All these things and many, many others help us define what is a dog and what is a cat. So again, let me ask that question with that definition in mind. What comes to your mind when you think of the divine attributes of God, the things that make God God, that without He ceases to be God? We often think of such things as His holiness, righteousness, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. We think of His immutability, which means He does not change, His sovereignty, justice, His perfect grace and love and mercy and faithfulness and goodness, and the list could go on. We often think of those things, and many of us could have listed those things very easily. One attribute that is often left off the list of the characteristics that make God God is His impartiality. What is so surprising about this is that throughout Scripture, this attribute of impartiality is very clearly revealed. God is absolutely impartial in His dealings with people, and this makes Him very different than all of mankind. You see, as we belong to that group of people or that group of creation called mankind, even we as Christians are not inclined to be impartial. We're not. We tend to put people in predetermined categories ranking them by their looks, their clothes, their race or ethnicity, their social status, their personality, their intelligence, their wealth, and their power. By the kind of car they drive, by the type of house and neighborhood they live in, we just seem to automatically categorize people and then show partiality to certain groups The Bible really clearly reveals that this isn't true of God. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, we find, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Amen? There is no one else like Him. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is what? Not partial and takes no bribe. 2 Chronicles 19, 7. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. For there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Moving to the New Testament. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows what? No partiality. It's part of who He is. Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Then in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as father, if you are saved, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God, everybody say it with me. God is what? Impartial. Is there any doubt about that? If he shows any partiality whatsoever, which he won't, he would cease to be God. Just as like he would be, cease to be God if he was unloving or unjust. The Bible also reveals that God expects his people, his children, to behave impartially. Who does that include? Everybody here. We're supposed to be like our Father. It says in Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall not only be partial in judgment. He's talking to judges for Israel. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. This is Moses speaking. But he says, you shall not be what? Partial in judgment. All judgments that happen with, within our lives are to be impartial. Second Chronicles 19.7, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. Be, let the fear of the Lord be on you. Don't be unlike Him. And then in Proverbs 24.23, These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality and judging, everybody say it, is not good. So, the context with this in mind, knowing that God is impartial, He is absolutely impartial, He wants us to be impartial in our dealings with each other and in our dealings with uh, the society that we live in, we are going to find that James, in continuing his theme, that all Christ followers exhibit behavior patterns that prove their faith is genuine and that their religion is pure and undefiled, James is going to dramatically continue to point out that superficial and inconsistent Christians who claim they have faith but fail to behave in ways that show a genuine faith, faith they are deceiving themselves. And as you know where we're going, that would include what? Impartiality. James has already told us Christians who fail to behave in certain ways because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They deceive themselves if they don't find themselves growing in their ability to count it all joy when they encounter various trials. They're deceiving themselves if they find themselves blaming others or their circumstances when they fail to resist temptation. They are deceiving themselves if they don't find themselves growing in their desire to feed on God's Word. They are deceiving themselves if they find themselves being hearers of God's Word but not doers. All these things are behavior patterns that all Christians exhibit. And this morning we're going to come face to face with this very practical truth that follows right on the heels of James's previous comments about how genuine faith behaves. Those who have genuine faith will find themselves growing in their ability to behave impartially. Those who have genuine faith will find themselves growing in their ability to behave impartially. They will find themselves becoming more and more like their Savior, loving others impartially. And if they are not growing in their ability to become impartial, they are what? Say it. 
deceiving themselves. He's going to lay it right out. It's there. There's no way around that. One commentator, his name is Moitier, put it very pointedly this way. Treating people in different ways according to their outward appearance or their worldly advantages is not simply to fail to conform to a desired pattern of behavior. Listen to this. It is to deny our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. The first principle we find in our passage that Maddie just read for us, we find in chapter 2, verse 1. Our impartial behavior centers around our faith in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Again, we see James as, uh, as being a wonderful shepherd here. He says, my brothers. He is not admonishing them. He is writing to them as if he is walking alongside of them, sharing important principles about Christ-like behaviors genuine believers all share as they live in pagan societies. Sometimes when we as pastors get up here and, and, and teach what God has said in His Word and, and we're pointed about it because the Word is pointed about it, a lot of times they say that we're admonishing them or we're being mean or we're, we're not sensitive to the situation. But here we know that James is writing to a dispersed flock. He, he can't be around them. And he says, my brothers, he's, he's walking alongside, but he's making it very pointed. My brothers, this is not proper behavior for those who claim faith in Jesus Christ. Then he writes a command, very, very pointed, show no partiality. Show no partiality. Do not behave in any way where you show favoritism towards anybody, towards anyone. Notice something very important here about the source of our ability to live day in and day out, not showing partiality. Look at what he says. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling us, that it is our faith that allows us to do this. Another translation puts it this way. My brothers, stop showing favoritism as you live out your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The source of our ability to be impartial in the relationships we encounter in our lives is our faith in Jesus Christ. James echoes what we read earlier this morning. One of the attributes of God is impartiality. And since Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God, very God in the flesh, impartiality is also part of who He is. Jesus Christ Himself demonstrates this when He is calling to all of us to come to Him for salvation. He says in Matthew 11, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Come to me who? All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, who? Everybody. All. He makes that call to everyone. There is no impartiality. Our faith in Jesus Christ changes our hearts. The Holy Spirit indwells us and makes us alive spiritually. 
He enables us to grow in our ability and desire to live impartial lives that honor our Heavenly Father and bring assurance of our salvation as we live in our faith that we find in Jesus Christ. James helps us understand what impartial behavior looks like with an illustration. We see this in verses 2 through 4. Look at verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, you have not, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Notice that in how he writes this illustration, he does not limit our lives of impartiality to just brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, a man, a rich man, a poor man. He doesn't say a brother or sister. James, James's dispersed flocks would have begun to meet together more than likely in their homes. They would have begun to build new lives in the cities that they had fled to. There may have been other Jews living in these cities, so some of them might have been able to meet in the synagogues because Christ followers hadn't been kicked out of the Jewish synagogues yet. They would have developed relationships with others in their cities and befriended people they met. It would not be uncommon for them to invite people to come and listen to the gospel that had changed their lives, even in their dire situation. It wouldn't be uncommon for them to be asked, why had you moved into the city? Why did you come here? It wouldn't have been uncommon for them, uh, for those who have heard their stories, to come unannounced to their meetings as uh, it became apparent that there was a new group of people in town and they were teaching things that we're not familiar with. And in that society, it would not have been uncommon for visitors to show up. And the way that James' words illustration leads us to believe the rich man and the poor man were visitors to one of their meetings. And remember, these dispersed Christ followers would have been very poor, and it would have been natural for them to want to honor a rich man in their humble house. But James calls them on this. He says, don't do this in a wrong way. The word he uses for partiality helps us understand in this situation, if they encountered it, they would be honoring the rich man for the wrong reasons. The word that James uses here for partiality literally means to accept a face. Accept a face. Remember, they didn't know these people. A rich man walked in and a poor man walked in. There was no background. There was no, hey, how are you? There was, he just, they just walked in is, is the idea of this illustration. And they totally, in an instance, evaluated who was good and who was bad by their what? their face, by what they looked like. They saw a man dressed very well and a man not dressed so well, and they showed partiality. They favored the man who looked important, wealthy, and honorable, and severely disrespected the poor man. They directed the poor man to stand to the side at the meeting or to sit at the feet of someone more important based solely on what they looked like. And James makes it very clear this act of partiality is wrong. It should not be tolerated by those who are to be impartial as their heavenly Father is impartial and their Savior Jesus Christ is impartial. Look at verse 4, the last part of verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become what? Judges with evil 
thoughts. They didn't just make a little mistake. They didn't just cross the line a little bit. He says they did what? They made evil judgments. Evil judgments. This illustration was used as an example. As far as we know, it hadn't happened, but James was just using it as an illustration. And James knew his dispersed flock would be tempted, as all humans are, to treat those who look to be from a higher class with more honor, based on nothing more than their looks, based on nothing more than what they drive, based on nothing more than how they carry themselves. This section of his letter is a continuation of his previous thoughts on a pure and undefiled religion based on faith in Jesus Christ that keeps oneself unstained from the world. This is a continuation of that thought that we have already been looking at in chapter 1. But being partial, we need to understand that being partial in any way is not keeping oneself unstained from the world. It's not. I want to note a couple of things, other things in this illustration, some things that you may have questioned. James is not saying that we should never honor one person over another. That's not what he's saying. That would go against other teaching within the Bible. We find that children are to honor their fathers and mothers, and to honor means to lift them up, to show them special respect because of their position within the family. We see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land of the Lord that the Lord your God is giving you. Show partiality to them. They are your parents. We also see that in the New Testament. For God commanded... Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother surely must do what? How serious was this command to lift them up and to show them honor? It was extremely serious. No matter how old a child is, they should always honor their parents. They should show partiality to them. And we need to understand that the command doesn't say honor them if you think they deserve it. It doesn't say that. It says you honor them because of their position. There's intrinsic honor in that position, and you will show them partiality. It's a command. We also should honor our elders. In Leviticus 19.32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Basically, I am the Lord says, I'm the Lord who said this. You will honor your elders. We also find in 1 Timothy 5.3, honor widows who are truly widows. Put them on a higher pedestal. Show partiality to them because who were the widows in that day and age? What age were they usually? Older. Goes right along with honoring the elders. Don't honor just the elders in your life that have made good in their life, but also honor those who have extreme need. These people, these elders, should sit in a place of honor. If an elderly man or woman comes in, the, in, children should be taught to stand up and offer them their seats and sit at the floor at their feet because they are to be held in honor. We should honor those who deserve honor because of their position as leaders, those in authority over us, our bosses, our pastors. Romans 13, 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to 
to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Lift them up. Show preference to them because they are over you. Likewise, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, what a teaching that went that, there that went against culture. You lift your wife up. You, hold, you show her preferential treatment because she's your wife. My point in all these passages is there are circumstances when partiality, special honor is due to someone based on something more than just what you look like. So we are, in certain circumstances, to show honor, to show preference, to show partiality towards certain groups of people, but never because it's just what they look like. Then we also need to consider that this illustration covers much more than just the wealthy. He uses that as an example here. I want you to look at this from a, another commentator. It says that treating people in different ways according to their outward appearance, that's what the illustration uses, or their worldly advantages, not just to what they look like. We are not to show partiality to anybody that has worldly advantages. Notice the underlined word, it's easy to fall prey into the evil judging James is talking about in so many areas of our life. We show partiality when we want to be around only people who look are like us, who look like us, talk like us, and are of the same social class as us. That's showing partiality. We show partiality when we feel uncomfortable sitting next to a stranger who may smell or have dirty clothes on, when we wouldn't have a problem sitting next to a stranger who was better dressed. We show partiality when we have condescending heart attitudes about the homeless, the mentally ill, the drug addicts, the prostitutes, the very same people Jesus Christ, our Savior, never showed partiality to. The illustration James uses to condemn partiality isn't limited to just wealth. As God's family, heirs through our faith in Jesus Christ, we must understand that a growing desire to live impartial lives assures us that we have truly been saved because we are becoming more like our Savior. These, last, these verses, verses 1 through 4, help us see that our maturing impartial behavior centers around our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith in Jesus Christ changes our hearts, and the Holy Spirit dwells us and makes us alive spiritually and it is He who enables us to grow in our ability and desire to live impartial lives that honor our Heavenly Father and bring assurance of our salvation. We will never be able to be impartial out of our own efforts because of our sinful hearts. It is only through the faith in Jesus Christ that we can become more and more like the Father, our Father in heaven, and like our Savior, Jesus Christ. James continues in verse 5, and we find this. Partiality is contrary to the purposes of God. Partiality is contrary to the purposes of God. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? 
but you have dishonored the poor man. James is so clear here. Those we find easy to be partial against, especially the poor, are those that God has chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. How can we be partial to them? They have been given the same salvation and the same heirship that we have. God has gifted those we are often partial against with faith and heirship just like us. When we dishonor them, as he writes in the first part of verse 6, when we set others above them because of their life station, their looks, their wealth, their power, then we work against the very purposes of God. We work against the purposes of God. God is moving in their lives. God is growing them in their lives. God has them in that station in their lives. They may be coming out of that station. They may be, uh, God may want them to stay there to reach people that we would never be able to say. But He is working in their lives. They are part of His plan in the same way that we are. And sometimes we look down on it because their plan doesn't look like our plan. This really got my attention My heart ached when I realized how many times throughout my life I worked so contrary to the purposes of God. I so desired to want and wanted to be a part of the crowd. I didn't want to be seen as being with certain people or even, and I even participated in ridiculing them to raise myself up. It wasn't always overt, but there were many eye rolls and sly remarks under my breath. What even made it worse for me was that since I spent so much time in youth group, many times my partiality was against those who were my brothers and sisters in Christ because they just didn't measure up in my eyes. They didn't deserve my respect because they were different than me, even though God had blessed them with the same gifts and salvation that He had given me. And what was so sad about this type of ungodly behavior is that I didn't realize I was working against my own best interests. These people could have challenged me with their lives, could have helped me mature in my walk with Christ with their lives, but I didn't want to be around them. I didn't want them to teach me. I needed to teach them how to live a life, how to dress properly, how to maybe comb their hair a little bit better, how to not act so immature. We also see, as it continues in verse 6, partiality works against our best interests. In keeping with this illustration, James makes the point that those we lift up over the poor and shabby man, those who we hold in high regard because of their social status, wealth, looks, are often the same ones that show partiality against us. The ones we want to be like, the ones we want to walk alongside, the ones that we want to be accepted, they are often the ones that absolutely show partiality to us. Look at the last part of verse 6. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called, by which you were saved? The ones who end up using their wealth and power against us are the ones that we want to be like, are the ones that we want to associate with. They are the ones that when they're done with this, they discard us without even blinking an eye. They're the ones who dare to make fun of our faith in Jesus Christ, even to the point of blaspheming the one who saved us. And we go along with it so we can be looked at with favor by them. This was so true again in my own life as a youth. 
Each of my high school years was spent at a different high school. I went to four different high schools my four different years. Every year I had to make new friends and try to reestablish myself in the pecking order. I often found myself working so hard to be accepted that I would attach myself to anyone who accept, would accept me, even if they mistreated me, because I wanted to be part. At that time, I didn't realize those I thought accepted me were often making fun of me behind my back because I was the new guy. All my efforts to be accepted actually worked against me because those who would have accepted me were the ones that I was being partial against because they didn't match up to the people I was trying to get in with. Partiality is contrary to the purposes of God and it works against our best interests. And we also see that partiality violates the royal law. Look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then he goes on, as Maddie read earlier, talking about whoever keeps just one part of the law but fails in others, they are guilty of the whole law. They are condemned. So what is the royal law? What is the royal law? We find this in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. And Jesus answered, the most important is, he's been asked a question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, what does it say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, there is no law greater than these. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Do you realize when we show partiality in any way, we are breaking God's law to love our neighbors as ourselves? Don't let this just go in one ear and out the other. James makes a very clear point here. Partial obedience to the law is disobedience. One does not have to disobey every law to become a lawbreaker. To break even the weakest link in the chain is still breaking the chain. I want to be clear, this doesn't mean that all sin is looked at by God in the same way. There is sin that is more heinous in God's eyes than others and will receive harsher judgment. But James here is not dealing with the idea of guilt. Which one brings more guilt? He is dealing with the fact that a person becomes a lawbreaker no matter what sin he or she commits. And it is so often easy to uh, assume that partiality in all of its forms really isn't that bad. It's not against God like murder or adultery. And God says, you break the law of impartiality. You break this law of loving others like you love yourself. You have broken the law just as much as if you would have committed adultery or committed murder. The guilt for those is different, but the breaking of the law is not. Partiality breaks the royal law to love your neighbors as yourself, and breaking any law of God is serious business to God. Genuine faith leads to a genuine desire to obey all of God's law. You and I can't say we obey God and attend church or youth group, 
We obey God and give, our, give to our church. We obey God and serve with our spiritual gifts in the church. We obey God and count it all joy when we experience various trials. We can say this. We obey. Look, I marked it off on the list. I went to Sunday school. I gave to a good shepherd. I even came and cleaned bathrooms in the church. I'm not pointing Todd out for any reason there. But if there is partiality in your life, then you have disobeyed God and you will find yourself at odds with him because you broke the royal law to love your neighbors as yourself. And then we see in the very last part of this section that James ends with a dire warning. Look at verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has, no mer- who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The one here that he is describing who has shown no mercy is obviously an unbeliever. Their lives are characterized by partiality, selfishness, and lack of concern for others who are not like them. They are far from loving others as they love themselves because they love themselves more, and they reflect nothing of God's love and care for those who are in need. James is clear, when a person lives without mercy towards others, they simply reveal the fact that they have never experienced an immeasurable the immeasurable mercy of Jesus Christ through salvation. When we, find ourselves, when we find it easy in our lives to be partial, to categorize people, to not want to be around people who are not like us, when we look down on them for whatever reason it is or don't think that they quite measure up because maybe they're laying in the gutter or uh, because of their job or because they have shabby clothes or whatever it is, then God says we're not showing mercy. James is clear here. When a person lives without mercy towards others, they simply reveal the fact they have never experienced, as I said before, the immeasurable mercy of God. Living a life that is marked by impartiality proves a person has experienced the mercy of God. Partiality is inconsistent with genuine faith because genuine faith leads to behavior that is consistent with the nature of God, which means we will grow in our ability to be impartial. Partiality is inconsistent with loving your neighbor as yourself. Even if it were the only sin a person ever committed, partiality, like all other sins, shatters the entire law of God and makes a person a transgressor condemned forever. And if you come before the judgment seat of God and He sees that you have lived a life that is merciful to others, He will show mercy to you because your mercy will testify to your saving faith. And it will be true in your case that mercy triumphs over God's judgment. Contrarily, a person who has lived a life devoid of real mercy to others, which is sown through partiality, will show themselves to be without saving faith. So, A lot of verses we went through. A lot of material. But let's look in the mirror for a little bit. Let's just be honest with ourselves. What does your behavior show? Honestly? What is the characteristic of your life? Does your life show that it is impartial? That you have a tendency to have grace and mercy towards the people that you would 
that would be considered as marginalized by society? What would you? If people were to look at your life and look at your heart, which drives your life, would they see, not perfectly, because nobody lives it perfectly, would they see you growing in your love and care and mercy for those people that are marginalized by society? That they, would they see that you are growing to be more like your Father in heaven, not being partial to those who are not like you? Or would your life show favoritism? You don't know? Let me ask a few questions that may help you begin to evaluate your life in light of what James has taught us this morning. When you are at work or school, do you find yourself noticing those who seem to be loners, outcasts, not in the mainstream of life? Or are they invisible to you, or worse yet, the objects of your ridicule and disdain? Youth, when you walk into the cafeteria, you walk into the classroom, do you notice those who are pushed out of the mainstream? Do you not want to sit with them because you'll be associated with them? They're not up to the standard. If we find ourselves in that way, then we need to remember that your Savior and my Savior chose to surround Himself with the outcasts of society. Beggars, those with sickness that caused them to be outcasts, prostitutes, tax collectors, all the people that nobody else wanted to be around, and our Savior spent enormous amounts of times with them. Never turned them away. Never disdained getting close to them. Remember that your Savior sought you out when you were condemned because of your sin, outcast from heaven, not worthy of His love, concern, grace, or mercy. Remember these things when you don't even see those people when you walk into a room because they just are invisible to you. Another question. Do you find yourself tending to be immediately critical of those who have made bad choices in life that have caused them to be homeless, divorced, alone, poor, not like you? Is your first reaction is to look at them with a critical eye? Oh, they deserve to be there. They must have done something in their life to earn their spot. Then we need to remember, if we go there, how critical your Savior could have been of your life and your life choices. Amen? How many people here have lived a life that Jesus Christ, being God, very God, would not be able to be critical about? The choices, the breaking of the commandments. When we find ourselves to be immediately critical of those, we need to remember that Jesus Christ was not immediately critical of us. He went to great lengths to come and save us, to live on our planet as the Holy One of God, perfect, sinless, for no other reason than to reach out to you and say, come to me, all who will believe. And should we not be that same way to everybody else in our lives that we see? Third question, do you find yourself desiring to be blessing to those who are poor, widowed, and orphaned? 
Instead of just automatically being critical, do, uh, it's, it's not just being ambivalent and, oh, uh, yeah, those poor people, I noticed that. But do you have a, a desire to be a blessing to those people? A desire to ha- maybe have to sacrifice something in your life to be a blessing to those people? Do you find yourself wanting to alleviate their suffering? And these are tough questions for all of us. What we have heard here this morning from God's Word is very revealing. It more often than not shows that when we look in the mirror, there are a whole lot of blemishes when it comes to being impartial because we fall into it in so many different areas and so many different ways without sometimes even recognizing it. But James isn't going to let us forget, is he? He's going to put it right here in front of us. But thanks be to God that he is willing to forgive us and to grow, help us grow to become more and more like him, impartial at our very, very heart level. And don't forget that we will all struggle with this. We all have, been, have growing to do as followers of Jesus Christ, but because of our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we can grow. We can grow. But that growth is only possible if you're saved. If you do not see yourself growing to be more like your Savior, then what James has taught becomes a test. A test that can reveal the possibility that you never really had genuine experience, the genuine saving faith of Jesus Christ. If you don't find yourself growing in, to being less partial and more impartial, then you need to ask yourself why, because that means you're not growing where Christ wants you to grow. You're not becoming more like Him. And I want to close with one more thing. It's very practical. There's one thing I just came to my mind as I was sitting at my desk this morning. In fact, I actually had to write it in instead of having it be part of my notes. Parents, a lot of this begins with you. If you want to live out your faith in Jesus Christ in front of your children, then there is no better way than to take them to places that they don't feel comfortable Help them to see that you are impartial. Help them to see that you love those who are down and out. Help them to see that you are willing to sacrifice for these people who do not live in your culture or your society in the way that you do. Walk with them. And not just going into places like we are getting ready to go here in a couple weeks to Agomas where we are going to see an enormous amount of people who don't measure up, they're going to be poor, they're going to be dirty, they're not going to have anything, they're, going to have, they're, they're not going to be like us. We need to be looking at that in our own communities. And this, I think, is something that we need to think about along that same line as a church and as churches in general. How many of these people are in our church? Or are they all of the same economic level. Look around. We can go to churches throughout Swansea, North, Gaston. How many of these people that don't measure up who are outside society's norms are actually in our churches or have connections with people in our churches? And we're going to find out that we have left the church of the first century behind because what was that church full of? Those people.
And there are abundant, abundant examples of that in the Scriptures. I pray and ask that this morning that we would all look at our hearts about this idea of being impartial. We are to love like our Savior loves. We are to be just like our Savior is just. We are to be holy like our Savior is just. And we are to be impartial like our Savior is what? Impartial. In all of its various ways that it shows itself. So as Michelle comes to the piano, bow your heads for just a minute. And ask yourself the hard question. Are you growing in your ability to be impartial? Are you growing in your ability to become more and more like your Savior and to be impartial? Is that part of who you are at your heart level? God knows your heart. There is no hiding that from Him. God knows if you really see those people in your life or if you just have a tendency to ignore them. God knows if your immediate reaction is to be critical of them because they just messed up their lives. Come before God if you find yourself there and just with great joy know that He is willing to forgive you right now for the partiality that may exist in your life. You can confess that to Him right now. And knowing that so many of us here have the heart of Christ, I would also say that now is the time to pray that our church, that each individual Christ follower here, ask God, pray, Lord God, bring these people into my life. Let me see them. Help me to be a blessing to them. Help me, Lord God, please, to be like you, like you were to me. Lord God, we all bow before you, looking in a mirror this morning that I know, at least in my life, has shown many blemishes in the realm of impartiality, knowing, Lord God, that I am partial towards people, that I am not where I need to be knowing that I need to become more and more like my Savior. Lord God, I pray for everybody here who is a Christ follower, who is genuine saving faith, that we would, as a church, as individuals, see those who are marginalized in our culture, in our town, in our workplaces, in our schools, and that we would be the light of Christ to them. Help us to be wise 
as we deal with them and love them and care for them. And Father, if there's somebody here who says, I just don't find myself even really caring about them, I never have. I pray, Lord God, that maybe you will open their eyes to see that maybe they have not experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And Father, if somebody is here like that this morning, I pray that you would have them come and talk to me in the front after service, that you would have them uh, not allow them to be off the hook, that you would open their eyes and their hearts to the need for Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.